Hello, friends, and welcome to World Build With Us, the podcast where we create fantastical worlds with help from you, our listeners. My name is Rob Hilferty. I'm here with my co-hosts, Daniel Quinn and Courtney Staples. On today's episode, we are joined once again by the magic engineer, C.R. Rowanson, for a very special episode. Uh, Clark, why don't you go ahead and start us off? Tell us why you're here today. All right. Well, thanks again for having me back. It is August 2021, and I am currently running a crowdfunding campaign for the book that I have been working on for the past year. Actually, it really... Decade. <laughs> yeah, I think you mean decade. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the book itself has been the past year. The concepts have been a decade, but I actually really kicked it into high gear after my original interview with you guys because you actually helped the final pieces click into place. So that campaign is up on Indiegogo, and it will be through the end of the month. We're here to explore stuff. If this episode piques your interest into Clark's work in his workbook, please go ahead and support him over on Indiegogo. There's a link for that in the description. In fact, I've actually built a custom link for you guys and your audience, which will get anybody that follows that link. They'll have access to a secret backer tier, which will get them everything at the Adept Arcanist level, which is a ebook, physical book, several bonus blueprints, and it will be $10 off. So if you go through that, you know, maybe use the money you save for the World Build With Us Patreon or something like that. Just saying. Oh my God, the, <laughs> the transition to shill nice. is so perfect. That actually leads me into, uh, remember that if you want to build worlds with us, go to our website, worldbuildwithus.com, and you can submit a uh, prompt that we will build live on air. Clark's done this at least twice before with us. It's a lot of fun. Uh, we're also on Twitter, Discord, and as Clark mentioned already, we're on Patreon, uh, so if you want to support us and be incredibly generous, please go right ahead, go to our Patreon. We're always here for you. Uh, Clark, where can people find you in, uh, in, when we're not talking about Indiegogo? The best place is my website, crrowinson.com, or my YouTube channel, which is The Magic Engineer on YouTube, which, with everything going on, that's really started to take off, so it should be pretty easy to find the videos. You can, through August and September, find me on Facebook and Twitter. After that, I am going to be trying to shift <laughs> away from those. But for now, Facebook, Twitter, my website, and YouTube. Also, Discord channels are a good place to find me. Yes, uh, Clark is a regular on our Discord channel where we talk about world building, RPGs, and occasionally hunt monsters together. It's all fun. Um, so, Clark. Frickin' Diablo, man. Yeah, Diablos is always fun to fight. Anyway, I'm not even getting into that. All right, so Clark, what I was thinking for today's episode is you have a prompt for us, and what we're going to do is you can explain your 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 book and your project a little bit, and then we're going to roll into the prompt. And what I'd like to do is use your book as kind of a, what I'd like to do here is basically a, a live how-to guide or a live demonstration of how some world building person out there might want to explore and expound upon all the magical things within your book and more. How does that sound to you? That sounds awesome. I've been really excited for this since your episode 100, because in there you talked about the implications of world building. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm really excited to explore that and use this tool to do that with you guys. 
Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think that the implication is a very important concept to world building and uh, something that I think adds a lot of depth and flavor to what we can go for. So Clark, before we get into the prompt and everything like that, why don't you go ahead and remind everyone a little bit about yourself? Uh, actually, uh, Daniel, you probably have a better segue for that, don't you? Well, why sure, don't, yeah. Why, Dan, yeah, why don't you, you come in, Daniel, because you, you brought up the point. So Clark, my understanding of you, for those of us who have not um, heard about you before, even though we've had you a few times on our show, um, I wanted to know, um, you have a, a background as in chemical engineering, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Um, chemical so, engineering and chemistry. So I, I that clearly that makes you especially equipped to be a magical <laughs> engineer. So I would love to know how, you know, that past life uh, intersects with your, your um, new interest in the foundations and principles of magic. Well, I can't speak for all chemists, but I know for me, there was at least a part of that was because I realized chemistry was about as close as I was going to get to alchemy. So that was big points there. Um, I've <laughs> been I've been obsessed with magic systems pretty much my whole life, pretty much since I could be a kid running around with a magic sword and using pine cones as fireballs. And that just kind of solidified as I grew up reading more fiction, playing more games, and where the engineering and chemistry really helped is that really helped me cement rational understanding and rational thought processes as well as how to study things how to study complex systems and break it down into smaller pieces that's some of the big things that i really took away from my engineering background to use when i really dig into magic systems and uh, I've also spent quite a bit of time as a trainer and an educator, and I use a lot of that to take these more complex topics and break them down in a way that is easy to understand. Now, when you say, and I assume you mean big R rational um, approach to magic, um, could you tell us a little bit about of your philosophy of of magic and what, what it means in terms of different genres and how you approach like... Um conceiving of a system for it? Because I guess this is the, the basics of your of your book. That is a great question that I always forget to cover. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, uh, magic to me is anything enabling abilities beyond our current capability or understanding. And that's a broad net and it's designed to be. So that includes alien biology, advanced science fiction tech, your more traditional magic, Anything that is beyond our capability or understanding gets classified as magic to me. And that's because you can approach them all the same way, even if they end up being very different. Cool. I feel like these are the kinds of things I didn't imagine we'd be able to uh, explore if we had a degree in chemical engineering. <laughs> yeah, that's not on the syllabus anywhere. Oh, darn. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think we're all on the soft sciences part of the the degree spectrum over here. Mm. Yeah, um, so but I feel yeah. like Clark at least has a more legitimate uh, a means of, of of talking about this stuff because we're just bullshitting. I don't know yeah, about absolutely. that. It just the engineering <laughs> taught me to think a certain way, and that's that's the main thing that you get from an engineering degree is how to study, analyze, and approach problems. 
I, I learned how to do similar things with my English degree. Uh, anyway, all right. With with all the preamble out of the way, with with a, a nice little getting to re getting to know Clark, we I think we can move on to the prompt. So, Clark, what is the prompt that you've brought us today that we're dealing with? So this prompt is a little different because the prompt is more focused, surprise, surprise, on the magic system that I'm hoping we'll then be able to extrapolate out into the world around it. But the prompt is carved totems that are used to channel magic determined by the creature depicted and the material used. Mm -hmm. Now, already, uh, as you know, someone who does world building fairly regularly, this is specific enough where we're forced to really think about certain things, but broad enough to where I love the idea that we can really do just about anything with this topic. Um, so Clark, why don't you go ahead and uh, start us off with your first tenant for this totemic world? All right. So my first tenant is that the totems have to depict real creatures. And Ooh. I'm putting real in quotes. They don't have to be real to us, but they need to be real in the setting. So you're talking uh, not not real as in, you know, like, oh, a dragon is real to us because we can picture it and imagine what it looks like. But real as in, I should be able to go out in the wild and see this creature as it's depicted. Yes. If a character okay. in the world can encounter it, there can be a totem for it. Understood. Okay. Uh, Daniel, your tardigrades are ready for your totems. So <laughs> <laughs> I really love tardigrades. I, I know it's weird. It's, it's weird, but I respect it. Uh, so, uh, because we're going to be doing this a little bit differently, we're not going to be exploring the, uh, implications of our tenants quite yet. We're going to kind of go and do a rapid fire. So who wants to hit them, hit us with our next tenant. So mine kind of covers the broad world. Um, I'd love for this to be set in a much earlier time frame than we normally go for. So I'm thinking like Stone Age era technology. Oh, geez. Pretty okay. primitive. Yeah. Ooh, okay. I like that. So that's actually going to clash with mine. And I'm really interested to see how we're going to reconcile it mm -hmm. because my concept or, or my idea was I want the genre to be gothic horror. <laughs> Interesting. So, okay. <laughs> I don't know how we're going to do a gothic horror style set in uh, a, a, a pre. Do you want to do prehistoric, or were you okay with like maybe Greek or or like ancient Greece times or something like that? Could do like Bronze Age, maybe. But okay. I'd like to okay. keep it I mean, on the older. What are the side underpinnings of gothic horror? Like maybe we take what the what gothic horror means and apply it to the setting. So I've mm. actually got this because my wife loves gothic horror. <laughs> your, your main thing, ghosts. You got to have ghosts. And usually not as antagonists, usually as warnings and metaphors. Um, there's always some element of the supernatural, almost always tragedy. And there is usually themes of somebody in power either falling from esteem or abusing mm -hmm. that power to fall morally. Oh, then we could do this in a prehistoric period. It'd almost be like a gothic Conan the Barbarian, which is kind of cool. Oh, yeah. Kind of, yeah. Uh, I, I think that, by the way, Clark, you were so on point with that, by the way. I'm really impressed. <laughs> oh, yeah. Say. 
Um, talk with my wife about it a lot. And I'm glad she doesn't listen because I'm sure that I forgot some things that she would yell at me about. You absolutely <laughs> did, but that's fine. We're not going to focus on that right now, Clark. I, I, I'm now seeing like, uh, this is a very strange setting already and I'm so fucking down for this. So, uh, Daniel, what is your tenet for the thing that we're dealing with here? Um, I, my tenet is that, um, whatever animal you carve, um, it's not an abstraction. Like the animal is connected to an actual animal and it's a one-to-one -one connection. Ooh. Okay. Oh, interesting. Cool. Uh, all right. And Clark, your second tenet. So that actually ties in really well because my second tenet is that I wanted the totems to be bound to the user. Uh, that's not to say that mm. they couldn't change hands or anything, but I really wanted there to be some kind of ritual or initiation that make, that requires you to activate and bind it to you so that you can use it. And I think that fits really well with what Daniel just said. Mm. Mm. And Courtney, your second tenet? Um, this was also broader about the overall world, but also now ties in with what can be on the totems. But I had wanted to include fantastical creatures like dragons and griffins and all that good stuff. Or dinosaurs. Because when, uh, yeah, I, when I, was, I think yeah, prehistory... I was thinking dinosaurs too. <laughs> yeah. Dinosaurs. I, I, I would love to see some dinosaurs in our gothic horror setting. I feel like by the end of this, we need at least one person to be like riding a T-Rex. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, but but like in a dress and like looking like a ghost or something like that. <laughs> uh, we can ghost riders of the T-Rex is like already sounds like an OD&D adventure, right? <laughs> that sounds like something Daniel played back when he was like 12 years old. <laughs> well there was Ravenloft but that wasn't that was second edition <laughs> uh, alright and uh, I so here's the thing because we're dealing with magic one of my favorite uh, themes or sub themes that I often in, uh, inject into my own magic settings or uh, worlds in general is I love blood magic so I wanted the totems to be fueled by blood in and of itself Perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Daniel, your second tenet that we're dealing with here. Um, it's an extension of my first one, which is that um, the one-to-one -one connection you have with the actual creature is such that um, you share its fate. So whatever happens to it, it happens to you and vice versa. So if you smash the totem, you get smashed in real life is what I'm hearing. Uh, no, like the creature. So like if you're bound ah. to like a dinosaur, then that dinosaur gets killed, then you die. Interesting. Okay. Uh, okay. So with our hodgepodge of ideas that we've got going on, and it's a it's a gumbo. That's what I'd like to say about this setting in general. It feels like all these flavors, all these spices mixing together. You don't think it should work together, but man, it certainly feels like we're going to make it work together. Um, so why don't we go ahead and start going through uh, the blueprint and start adding stuff all over the place. Clark, where would you like to start? I'm going to start at the top up with the seed crystal because we're in an interesting place here. So when you're building a magic system, you can start building at any point in your story, story building process, your story creation process. I generally start with magic systems because that's how I think other people need to start with their plot or for some of the other stuff I've done on the side for you guys, just because I thought it was fun or funny, 
I started with the world you had and then built the magic system from there. And that's where the seed crystal comes in. That's the core concept that the rest of your system is going to grow around. And it's called a seed crystal because of chemistry background. They use seed crystals mm. to grow large purity crystals faster in labs. So in this case, our seed crystal is definitely the prompt about the carved totems. Mm -hmm. There's also perspective, which hopefully I'm hoping that we can talk a little bit more about that uh, maybe in the second episode. But that's the point of view that you mm. are taking when you're analyzing the magic system. Right now, we're definitely from the creator perspective because nothing else to nothing else exists yet. Not yet, and, but we're going to get there. Yeah, we're, like the, like Courtney said, the end goal is to get us on the back of a T Rex at some point. <laughs> right. So we may end up where we map we map out this magic system from the perspective of the T Rex because that would be fun. Uh, <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. So that's perspective. And then what we kind of just did with all of our tenants is we've jumped several stages in the magic building process, <laughs> which I'm not going to go through all seven. And you can jump around. But um, we have just built in a bunch of rules and limitations because we now know things like it has to be bound with blood. It has to be connected to animals. We know that there's some kind of connection in terms of what happens to the two. So there's a fatalism involved. We know a good chunk about the magic system. So this is where we deviated a bit from the standard approach that I would take, because we've, we've jumped around through some of the stages of magic building. And with the tenants, we've already built up a number of rules and limitations that we're going to adhere to as we move forward. So this is where we can actually start looking at the core of the blueprint and start mapping out some of these larger attributes and figure out how we want it to function. So normally when I'm going top down, I'd look at the types of magic. I think we should actually hold off on that until we get a better feel for how we want it to shape the world because the types of magic have a really big impact on how the magic can be used in the world and how it ties into the story and stuff like that. I'd like to explore the other attributes first. I mean, you're, you're the guest and the literal magic engineer. So why don't you tell us where you want to start off? Okay. Well, let's start with prevalence. And that's the age old question of who can do magic and how common is the magic. It's all mm. about the abundance or absence of magic in the world. So sure. we know what we, what we have, and this is a, this is a spectrum from low to non-existent prevalence to extremely high prevalence where, you know, you, you can't swing a dead dinosaur, I guess, without hitting something <laughs> magical. Well, I, I obviously, I obviously don't want to run no magic because I think that that is kind of counterintuitive to the rest of the blueprint that we're doing here. Uh, I am erring on the side of low prevalence. However, I think it'd be way more interesting to deal with uh, like maybe one in a thousand or, or actually less than that. I would say one in a uh, hundred thousand, even uh, a population able to use magic or actively using magic. So it means that in the entire world, there's probably uh, I'd say a hundred or less overall magic users. I think that'd be really interesting to deal with, but I'm open to suggestions. What the, re what are the rest do you think? I was thinking more, um, 
mid-level, I guess, um, thinking like if we're doing a sort of Stone Age, maybe tribal um, type organization of people, um, that maybe it's like kind of a one per tribe type deal. Mm. Um, or they maybe they tend to be in leadership positions or they're sort of like the, the shaman of the tribe. And then that splits the difference. That's cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm cool with splitting the difference there. I think that what might be an interesting uh, concept to kind of work with as well is uh, maybe it's kind of a hereditary thing and maybe these uh, tribes are built around the bloodlines of the totemic magic users. So you're getting yeah, a little bit ahead there. That's one of the other variables. So I, that's I to- actually... That's totally fine. That's, <laughs> that's what it's about. We're naturally progressing over into the next uh, category, right? It is, but I want to explore some of the implications of prevalence. It's about right. the implications. Clark. The implications. Sure. <laughs> so you had talked about setting it at, at low. So, But with Courtney, we're kind of edging it a little bit more towards medium low. Yeah, I, I, I'd like to, if we could, explore a little bit of what it would feel like if we put it in the different places. So it's really clear how mm-hmm. that's going to change the vibe of the world mm-hmm. and the story. Because uh, like down at the low end, you're talking... Like you said, maybe a thousand people worldwide. I mean, what are the implications of that? We know the magic isn't really going to be as integrated into society or religious mm-hmm. practices. Uh, the people are likely to be larger than life heroes or major villains, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And by the way, in my head, I'm focusing on the totemic magic rather than the fantastical creatures. The fantastical creatures sure. may be extremely prevalent. That's like a separate thing that we could look at. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. As we increase the prevalence, the, the implications as I see it is going to be how that impacts people's civilization and their societies mm-hmm. and their social structures is going to be the main thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Because like in the middle where Courtney was saying, they're likely to be the chieftains or at the very least, they're going to be people of importance in each tribe. Because even if the magic is relatively minor, that's a power that other people don't have, which is going to mm. give them some kind of edge. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. That's, that's my interpretation. And, how how and would you we, guys see it? I mean, if we crank that dial, that prevalence dial, all the way up to high, right? It would not only mean that for every human there is an animal uh, that they're connected to, but it also means that er- I would say every human has that connection. So every person on in this setting has a way to connect with a spirit animal, which, which actually is kind of interesting in its own right, because at that point you're now really interested in the protection of said animal, because as Daniel's tenant proves, if the animal dies, so too does the person, which means that there is, uh, I mean, if, if, Again, this is with the implication of a high magical or a high prevalence setting wherein you're going to run out of animals because I'm assuming this is a one per human deal, right? I think that's what we talked about. And if if that's the case, then it's like, okay, you've got to make sure that your animal is well protected, that it's not like it's probably going to be a hunter because you don't want to just imagine, you know, like randomly getting eaten by a T-Rex somewhere. And Okay, that's super interesting. So I recently I recently made friends with somebody who is really interested in ecofiction, which is exploring mm-hmm. like ecological uh, studies and preservation through fiction. And that would be super interesting because then there is a vested interest to maintain 
the environment and the sanctity of all of these creatures. Mm. Oh, yeah, um, that's true. But uh, the other thing, by putting it high, that would let us change the type of gothic horror that we explored, right? It could be more of a gothic horror in terms of entire families or entire tribes that could be rising or falling because of the magic, where if we're in mid-level, that's going to change how the magic interacts with the story and the characters. This is the kind of stuff right. that I, I yeah. nerdgasm about. So <laughs> Absolutely. With the, um, the description of the high magic, everybody kind of having an animal companion, spirit animal type thing, that just makes me think of um, his dark materials. Yep. Yes. That's what I was and, thinking as well. Yeah. Where, except dinosaurs. Except dinosaurs, which is <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Yes. Um, and of course, in that setting, like the worst thing that could happen to you is you are severed from your animal spirit, your yeah. daemon in that setting, um, mm. which basically just dramatically affects you as a person too. So mm. setting it in the middle, we know that there's one, maybe a couple of people per tribe, per community. So the magic is there and everybody's likely to encounter it. Um at least at some point in their life, if not regularly in their life, but the chances of them having it are probably lower, which actually now, now we can move over to transference. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the thing that I wanted to also kind of uh, touch upon before we transfer over to transference <laughs> is, uh, yeah, is the idea that I think that a low prevalence or a mid to low prevalence setting makes more sense within the Gothic horror kind of subgenre because then you can have stories about families or tribes that, you know, like that are specifically because in, in my mind, Gothic horror is all about the noble family. It's it's fall of the House of Usher. It is uh, William Faulkner's A Rose for Emily. It's it's stuff within that vein where it's very much ado about the family and their dark secrets or something like that. A lot. And, and as as Clark mentioned, Ghosts are often involved. So <laughs> I think that when it comes to also, by the way, can we just talk about the fact that we can have ghost T-Rexes and how fucking ridiculous and awesome. I'm totally up for that. Uh, but yeah. but my, my, my point is, right, if we keep it mid to low, then there allows I, I think it blends with that subgenre of gothic horror just a little bit better. Mm hmm. Which I was I was going to try and keep it in, but it, it's not going to work. It's not going to happen. Uh, just from what Courtney was saying, That's uh, what your wife told me, Clark. Yeah, <laughs> the 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 ghosts could be um, severed spirit animals from their heritage. Mm. Uh, so you That's could sad. do literal and metaphorical ghosts, where like maybe something happened and and the fate wasn't quite shared, or the fate isn't actually death and that can be used as your your ghost feature and your gothic oh. horror i was yeah, about i was cool. about to say that like because gothic horror has a large component of tragedy yeah. um and we wanted to talk about families and if it's an elder is the one who possesses this connection to the creature you know if you have someone who either lost their creature maybe it's not just a connection that's one-to-one -one person to per to creature but maybe it's um this individual it's a representative for their tribe right. so the power they gain is somehow shared with the tribe and to lose the connection harms the whole tribe mm. i was also thinking that what, what might be really interesting to work with is this concept that a ghost within this concept of the setting is someone who tried to sever the bond between them and the animal to like try and essentially divert their fate in some way right like 
they yeah. see that their animal is dying and they're like, I don't want to share that fate. And oh, it's worse yeah. than death. It's it because it's like you're trying to deny the natural cycle. You're trying to deny something that it's it's you're forced to face your own death at that point. And so when they attempt to sever the bond, they're stuck in between worlds. And I would imagine also that it's probably a great shame or something like that yeah. on the mm-hmm. family to have them. I've just got to say, this is why I was so excited to walk through this with you guys, because we have hit like one of the eight variables and come <laughs> up with like 20 story ideas. Yes, it's amazing. Ab- exactly. And and I think this is why this, this episode is obviously going to be a two-parter, because man, we are already digging and drilling down into some really fun and interesting stuff, and we've only scratched the surface, basically. Uh, so Clark, why don't you transfer us over to transference? Like we were talking about before, why don't you explain that and what that is? Yeah. So transference is all about surprise, surprise, the transference of power. It's about how readily the magic can be picked up, taken away or shifted around between magic users, which there's a number of interesting things you guys have already mentioned. Uh, like doing something with a bloodline where it's purely hereditary, that's fairly low transference because you're either part of the family or you're not. There's no way to grant somebody else the power. And if your blood and if you're born in the family and it just doesn't trigger, like there's nothing people, anybody can do about it. Whereas high transference, more some of what Daniel was talking about, if there's an ability to actually gift and impart some of the magical power to your tribe. You may only need one person with this actual totem, but they are able to transfer their power to a large variety of people. And Mm. that's where transference really comes in. And also, even if we wanted to do anything about, uh, we talked about severing your connection to the totem, binding multiple totems, handing them off from parent to child, that's all transference. So I I really like the idea of having it as hereditary, but given that it's blood magic, I feel like there are a lot of kind of easy ways where you could transfer blood to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that is what carries the magic, then technically you could transfer it. It would just be a very messy, probably painful process. So literal blood brother type thing. Yeah. 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 Okay. Stone Age necromancers. Okay, I'd be okay with that. I was about to push back and say I'd like to push away from hereditary because that's a go-to for magic, but this this is cool. Stone Age blood (laughs) transfusions. (laughs) Actually, that's that's kind of what I was thinking, right? Is that in the future of this setting, because we're obviously in like a, a fairly early age in terms of society and civilization, why not have blood transfusions be so prevalent that the prevalence of the magic gets cranked all the way up. Like I think right now, just because it's a natural set or a natural progression that it's hereditary or at least blood based that we can see the progression go from mid to low prevalence to a much higher prevalence as time. And as this kind of ability to literally give your blood over uh, progresses, which has to do with flux. God, you're making this easy, Rob. (laughs) It's almost like I read the blueprint ahead of time to make it easy for you, Clark. Yeah. Daniel, what were you saying? Um, One question here. When we're talking about blood transference and, um, you know, transferring the power through blood, are we talking about um, the individual elder or individual who can bind themselves to another creature's capacity to do that? Um, Because, that would also imply on the other end, like where the animal is, 
that there's some kind of bloodline there too, unless it's mm. just any arbitrary animal. And that's what we need to discuss. So transference mm. is just, if I am a person in this world, how much control do I have? And what are my chances of me being able to gain magical abilities? Mm. How easily can magic be transferred to me? Mm. Well, so we can go any number of ways with that. With, so with Daniel's concept, right? Like it makes me think that what might be more interesting and Clark, you were pushing away from hereditary is maybe the bloodline isn't within the human, but it's within the animal itself. Maybe these Ooh. are hell. Um, yeah. Love that. Kind of like divine almost animals that yeah. can be connected to. Oh, I love that. That's okay. Cool. So I, yeah, I like that a lot. And another direction that I was going with with transference of power is um, we talked about blood transfusions, but what about just drinking blood? Like, would that give you like a limited time power use if you could just yeah, like, I think it's maybe temporary chug yeah. it down? Yeah. But I feel like at that point, because it's like you're essentially drinking from a dead animal, I, I assume dead. It might not ask, actually be, but my assumption is that if you're drinking blood, it's probably like a dead animal. It's okay. Body. But what if it's or, a person though? Like, so suppose oh, yeah. you're mm-hmm. hunting people from the tribe because the animal, you don't want to go against a T-Rex and try to get the blood out of the one yeah. T-Rex, right? Mm-hmm. That's not going to work. Yeah. But you can grab disagree. random Joe Schmo from the tribe and bleed them <laughs> yeah. you know, and get some of their power. Let, let me pitch be- this actually. Oh so my God. we've talked about implications across the entire spectrum of low to yeah, high transference already. implications here, Clark. Yeah. Um, I, I think we should go in the middle again, not just because middle of the road is easy, um, but because if we do that, I love the idea of that the totems, they bind to this creature and that makes the connection. So then the tribe does ritualistic bloodletting within their tribe from their totemic person to spread the magic around their tribe. Oh, that's actually, yeah. I'm, I'm, you, you sold me on that because that's a horror. There are some horrifying implications there. Yeah, and there oh. could be like all out like sacrifices mm-hmm. where like a well, bull is passed to go, around and yeah. You don't have to go hardcore. It could be as simple as, you know, when they're going to do a large undertaking, the chieftain mm-hmm. or whoever whoever is bound to the animal just, you know, bleeds a little bit into the communal batch of milk or meat or whatever gets stirred up mm-hmm. and then everybody takes a drink it could be we got to go hardcore this is the stone age i feel we like there's got to be five yeah, human sacrifices yeah, there's, for that, there right? has to be some groups that like take it to the next level yeah, yeah. like if you want to like maybe there's a famine and the only way to solve that through the elder is the elders like okay well i need you know five human sacrifices because you're all my ancestral blood like i may be the vessel <laughs> but you're all part of the bloodline oh i didn't think oh, about man. it that way either so wow. the totemic oh, wow. person can harvest their bloodline yeah. for more power. Oh, yes. No. So you would just be like trying to have as many kids as possible to eventually like right. sacrifice. Yeah. That's the horror. Again, yes, exactly. Wow. This is so because good. It's gothic horror. <laughs> yeah. It's it's okay. Uh, and now I'm just thinking of the words like savage tragedy for some yeah. reason. Mm-hmm. Because it's like yeah, Jesus Christ. Yeah, okay. no, I mean, I'm picturing like, okay, not sepia tone. You got like a black and white blood moon setting. You know, it's like Morborg, yeah. but Stone Age. That's what we're talking mm-hmm. about. Yeah. Well, uh, and I'm I... also thinking of Gendy Tartakovsky's Primal as well. So, and by the way, if you haven't seen Primal, go watch Gendy Tartakovsky's Primal because it's fantastic. I, I love that we have this concept in here that can now be taken to extremes in either direction. In terms mm-hmm. of people could sacrifice their chief in order for the entire tribe to gain temporary large boosts of power. 
or the chief can be sacrificing member of their members of their tribe to give themselves a boost of power. Mm-hmm. Right. And right. that kind of ties back into perspective that you're talking about before, like where from the perspective of a tribe who maybe doesn't partake in sacrifices and only occasionally does bloodletting, that's like a fairly low transference. But when you get to a tribe that's like actively hunting down people to sacrifice them or actively killing their children to drink their blood, that would be a high transference. So I think we're most of the way there already. Uh, this setting is amazing. Immediately super dark, yeah. Uh, I um, think we're most of the way to our answer already, which is why I actually want to jump mm-hmm. over to Source now. Go for it. So Source is about where the magic comes from, how much is present, and whether it can run out or not. So we know it's blood magic, but we also know that it comes from a connection to the animals, right? Right. Um, so the... Un- Unlike a lot of the others, source isn't a spectrum. It's actually two dials, one where you choose between an internal source and an external source. And then the other dial has to do with the amount of energy. It's either finite, infinite, or renewable. So from what I'm hearing through us talking about, we're kind of hitting both because there's sort of two aspects because we haven't actually talked about what the magic does or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But we know at least one of the sources is legitimate blood uh which means when people want to activate their powers they may need to bleed to do it which means for the human perspective uh, even for the tribe as a whole it is a internal source if you're a magic user external if you're one of the tribe and not a magic user that's where perspective comes in mm-hmm. um and it is finite slash renewable slowly renewable mm. Because blood is the actual fuel, which is why they need the sacrifice, because then you get the liters of blood from your sacrifice that you can use to fuel the magic. I would love to take that renewable aspect to a different level as well, uh, where uh, for some reason I'm thinking that we want to do something that is finite, but I'm thinking like a, a really brutal cycle of bloodletting, both on the human and the animal side. Like, I'm thinking that those chieftains who are, you know, trying to sacrifice their children for blood, it's it's not just about that. They're also like breeding children to feed to the animal in some way. Like mm. I feel like we probably want to focus a little bit more on the animal aspect of it as well because to me there's something a little bit more interesting about like we have to keep these animals alive, but maybe blood for them is necessary or maybe there's something there that i think could be really interesting i'm just not quite there on it yet and and i think that will solidify i i don't know if we're going to get to it in our episodes or not but i think that will solidify once we have a better understanding of what the magic actually is like what they're actually getting from their connection Mm -hmm. to the animal like once we know that i think we'll have a better idea of whether the source of magic from the bond from the animal itself is infinite, finite, or renewable. That's clearly going to be external Mm. because to a certain extent, you have the fuel source of the blood, but then you also have some other source we haven't really dug into much, which is the animal itself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Clark, we've got a lot of these tenets down. We've got the world as it is. We're we're exploring the implications. Uh, What is going to be next for us after source? Well, we hit on it a little bit, um, and uh, obviously there's lots of room to explore 
the implications of where you set the source and how <laughs> that will affect the society and how people use it and yada, yada, yada. But we don't have time for that. So next is uh, Flux, which you already hit on a little bit. And Flux is, it is whether the prevalence of magic is increasing, decreasing, or remaining the same mm. as time goes on. So that's another one where it has discrete settings. So it's either positive, negative, or neutral. So with our perspective as the creators, we get to look at the world as a whole and decide whether magic is in increasing, decreasing, or staying the same. And that could either be number of magic users, or it could we could say it's neutral, where the number of magic users is increasing, but the overall power level of all of the users is decreasing as it becomes more diluted. Like there's mm. a number of ways you can go. That's a, that's a really interesting spectrum that we can explore as well. Um, and and, I, and I actually, if we do it that way, then I think there'd be a more concerted effort to create families that are kind of guarding this power, you know, where they're trying not to spread the power out too much because it dilutes it in some way. That might be an interesting concept to kind of work with. Mm -hmm. Especially I mean, if you wanted to do any metaphors in your story about uh, some of the uh, awful stuff about purity and bloodline maintenance and that mm -hmm. kind of thing. Like it's, it's real messed up and this would let you really dig into the worst parts of that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if, yeah. If this is a tragedy. It clearly must be decreasing. Does it though? It could be decreasing for one family. Yeah. I think mm -hmm. that's where the tragedy comes in. Daniel. Is there has that... to be loss of some kind. Yeah. Point. Oh I, yeah. I... So, so rather than just a decaying estate, it's the blood magic of the family is decaying and withering. And it could be because like more and more people are becoming ghosts and severing connections or, or who knows, but that I really like the, just the integrity of the magic is the metaphorical crumbling estate that you so often see in Gothic horror. That's Daniel. I think that's probably going to be one of the big key things to this setting that you've just nailed mm -hmm. here. Uh, because I, I, I was, in, initially resistant to that type of idea. But now that I think about it, creating some kind of a desperate scramble to one, try and figure out why magic is going away and two, the greedy bastards who are going to try and hoard it. I think mm -hmm. there's something to that there. Mm -hmm. And this also jumps to perspective. So from yeah. the creator perspective, it could be anything we want. What we're talking about here is like from the story or a protagonist perspective, we definitely want it to be negative because that's what's going to build that sense of loss and lead into the gothic horror tones. That doesn't mean the entire world is that way. Right, right. It definitely makes me think of, I'm also always thinking about visuals, it makes me think of Brahms art. Um, he has a lot mm -hmm. of... Mm. You know, D, it's vaguely D and D. Um, some of it uses D and D, but it's got that um, '80s feel. But it's definitely more gothic than anything else. Yeah, a lot of dark tones, a lot of shadow use. Absolutely. Um, so I, I think Clark, what you kind of mentioned here is is important. Is that w our perspective, at least for the gothic horror part, maybe what we're going to be focusing on here is just a nation state or a section of the world where. This is this is in decline, and I'm and I'm I'm gonna go with Daniel's idea here. And we're clicking the negative aspect to where, for whatever reason, in this part of the world, 
magic overall is in a decline and we can kind of explore the implications of what that means a little bit more. Like I said, it will probably lead to like the families who are in control of these totemic, totemic animals to be like hoarding those animals, protecting them as much as possible, not letting other people use them. Uh, and then again, that's where the tragedy comes in, as Daniel yeah. said. Yeah, I, I think that's perfect. Just adjusting the perspective to meet our needs so that we can mm -hmm. really focus on that gothic horror element. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, I think that this is a good stopping point. We've already come up with a fucking gonzo setting as per usual with UCR. Uh, <laughs> I feel like that's kind of the the your oeuvre with us at this point whenever you're a guest. But always fun, always interesting. And... Uh, again, you're going to go ahead and check out the link because you've loved this setting already. You heard ghost dinosaurs and you were in. So you're going to go ahead and click the link to Clark's uh, Indiegogo page, support him, get the blueprint, read all about it. And we're going to finish the rest of this as of next week. So please check in with us next week as we continue our gothic horror dinosaur totem setting Uh we're, we're going to have to come up with a cool land of a thousand for this one, but I think that we have some interesting options. Land of a thousand ghost T-Rexes? <laughs> <laughs> I, I was actually thinking land of a thousand blood bonds, but we can oh. we yeah. can talk about this later. I guess later. blood bonds. I was thinking land better. of a thousand totems. Mm, uh, yeah. I, that, that might work. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, Clark, where can people find you? And, and and again, not the not the blueprint. Blueprint in the description. Please click on that. Please support Clark. But where can people find you otherwise? Yeah, if you aren't going to Indiegogo, you should go to my website, which is crrowinson.com or YouTube. The channel is The Magic Engineer, where I talk about all magic systems all the time, how to build them, analysis of them, uh, and the, that stuff gets posted both on the YouTube channel and on the website. So if you prefer text, website, you prefer video, YouTube. We got options for you. Uh, so that'll do it for this week's episode of World Build with us. Uh, remember that if you want to have us build your world, you can always go to our website, worldbuildwithus.com, and click on the link that allows you to submit a prompt where we will build your world. You can also find us on Twitter at Let's World Build. Or you can join us on Discord. Or if you're feeling particularly generous, you can always give us money over on Patreon. Uh, remember that we love you very much. And we're going to get through this together. Until next week. Bye.